0: Listening to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast featuring feminist thriller writers and conversation about women who don't give do a damn if you like them. I'm Kristen Lepianca, and I am thrilled to be here today talking with Lori Raider Day. Welcome. Thanks for having me, Kristen. Yeah, we're so glad to have you. We've been talking about having you on for like a while and this is it's finally worked out.
1: So it's exciting. It's exciting for me. I I wonder if I should be flattered that you've wanted me to be on unlikable <laughs> female <laughs> characters for so very long. Well, you know, I
0: think that I think we're reclaiming the word unlikable so often when I like describe this podcast to people, they go like. I love reading about unlikable female characters, and then they kind of pause and they're like, "I think I am one." And I'm like, <laughs> "Yeah, you're welcome. This is this is where it is." <laughs> I love it. Very yes. happy to be here. Yes. Well, um, we are super excited to talk about the lucky one, which is amazing. I just finished it over the weekend. Mm, thank and you. It's fantastic. Um, you want me um, to like you? I, I can see how this is. Yeah, going. I want you to like me. I don't care. <laughs> I already <you>. do. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so yeah, we're going to talk about your new book, which came out uh, in February. And we're going to talk about it through the lens of the unlikable female archetypes that we are exploring this year on the podcast. And this one that is a perfect fit for your book is The Woman Who Just Won't Let It Go. I love it. And I kind of think that the entire like genre of female-driven suspense falls into this category of the woman who won't let it go like it's kind of like the archetype actually defines the genre
1: right like I was thinking that when you suggested this uh this archetype I was thinking hmm how do you narrow that down that seems like all the characters I love all the books that I love they just won't let it go right so I think
0: um kind of the uh, the motto of of t- of the team of this archetype is like, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it right. Like, <laughs> exactly. they they want to find out the truth, but like in the end, they don't like the truth, and that's tr- kind of that's kind of the whole heart of of this book.
1: Absolutely, I think you know they they won't let it go. They have to have the truth, but then usually the truth is hidden for a good reason. You know, it's going to be yeah. messy. It's very true. Secrets don't say
0: stay secrets for like no reason. Of course, like there's always, there's always a reason that people feel compelled to bury things, right? So, digging up things that have been intentionally buried is like automatically a messy proposition. There's going to be some mess, absolutely, yes, absolutely some mess. So, uh, tell us a little bit about the book.
1: Uh, the lucky one is about uh, Alice Fine, who was kidnapped as a child. She was very young, about uh, three years old, but she remembers a little bit of it. And it's sort of like this family story. Um, she feels like she is the lucky one. She was only gone for, you know, a few hours and then she was returned safely to her family and her dad, uh, who was a police officer, saved her. So it's it's part of the, the family lore. Um, but she feels like she sort of, you know, dodged a bullet there. So in her adult life, 30 years later, um, she has been... Being a like low level volunteer for a website called the Doe Pages, uh, where there are cold case missing persons on part of the site, and then also uh, cold case unidentified remains, and this is actually a, a website that's based on the Doe Network, which is a real website with real. Real life amateur sleuths doing this kind of matching between uh, missing and unidentified people, mm. um, and then one day on the site she sees a face she recognizes, and it's the man who kidnapped her, who was never brought to justice. So she decides she's going to start digging into um, into that to see what's happened, um, why is he still out there, and, and can she bring him to justice? Sort of, you know, thinking she doesn't want anyone else to be hurt by him, but also to go back to today's topic. Uh, You know, she wants a little bit of justice for herself, I think, too. And then uh, along the way, she meets uh, Merrilee Cruz, who is also telling part of the story, who has uh, some issues of her own. And they sort of go about uh, this digging process, not together, usually against each other, but they sort of become um, a bit of a team as well.
0: Yes. So the the man that Alice sees on the site, the man who took her, uh Marilyn knows him she knows him as uh a guy that her mom dated a long time ago and so they are both approaching the mystery of this man from very different places uh and i think that they are very different people they are both driven by the same impulse to get to the bottom of it but Alice is a very sort of sheltered and timid person in the beginning of the book uh, because of the life experiences that she's had and sort of being the the person who this crazy thing could have happened to, and it did, but also it didn't end badly. So she's just like, she's kind of very withdrawn to herself. She's really in a kind of bubble that's been created by her family. So she's like, she's not super street smart, I would say. Um, and Marley is really like the opposite of that in in every
1: way. And she's going about it from a place of, he was a good person to her and so yeah she's just got a very different perspective on things and and that's where they clash yes and clash they do (laughs) (laughs) this is the most fun
0: to write oh i bet (laughs) (laughs) so like why do you think like what drives alice to volunteer with the dope pages in the first place because she's kind of incurious about her own life Mm -hmm. up until you know the story starts like as a as a reader, like there's there's stuff that's like that doesn't that doesn't really add up. You'd think she might have wondered, but like she hasn't. She hasn't questioned like the story that her origin story as a person really like that's that's what happened. And yet she has this drive to like look into other cases.
1: What is behind that contrast? Yeah. I think um, I think you're right. She is and she admits that she's very incurious about. Her own story and the story she's been told she just accepts it I mean I think we kind of all do that um you know these family stories that's just how it happened we don't think um anything could be amiss but I think she is driven partly in she says that she's driven by this sort of you know I got away I Um, maybe know a little bit more about this than anyone else who can, you know, there aren't very many people who got away who can tell this story. And so maybe I can help. But I think she's also driven by other things that she would not admit to. Um, You know, there's a certain uh, pride in having been the person who has Lived through this, and and is sort of a, a little bit of a minor celebrity, mm-hmm. in a way. Um, although she doesn't really talk about it on the site, she talks about it once, and then immediately uh, withdraws uh, that comment and and sort of disappears herself because she didn't realize how much attention that would bring. Like she wanted the attention, but then she didn't understand how much attention she was going to get. And that's not much of a spoiler. It happens in the very first few pages of the of the story. Um, so I think she's driven by. You know, the altruism that she sort of says that she's drawn, you know, driven by, but also these other darker things that she might admit to herself in a very, very dark moment. Mm -hmm. And there's also probably an
0: element of, like, on the surface, she believes the story that everyone knows about what happened to her, but maybe part of it is that deep, deep down, she doesn't necessarily... Or I think she's, she's got, wondered.
1: Yeah, she's got a lot of unanswered questions about her life. Um, uh, her mother has died uh, about two years before the story starts. And I think um, her mother was ill for a lot of her life. And so she's got a lot of, I don't know if questions is the right word. She sort of has some unfinished um, feelings about that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's sort of, you know, while her mother was alive, there was too much going on. To distract her from any deeper questions about what has happened to her. Right. So
0: let's talk a little bit about the two women that Alice kind of works with from the Doe Pages, Lillian and Juby. Do you uh, love them? I, love, I them. love them so much. They're so much fun. <laughs> they they like work so
1: well together as characters. Tell us a little bit about those. Lillian and Juby are uh, volunteers for the Doe Pages. They're they're real volunteers. When I talk about um, Alice being a volunteer, she's just doing some really low level, um, almost you know, just uh, website maintenance stuff. She hasn't really dipped her toe in too much. But then you have Lillian and Juby. Lillian is an old school, um, older woman who, you know, they they have jobs, they work together. And so Lillian, who's a longtime volunteer for the Doe Pages, gets Juby involved. And then they're sort of like this little team, Um, even though they're completely different in character and age in background. Um, but I just, I really like them together. One of my editors suggested that they were too weird at one point, yeah. And I said, I love them weird. I love them weird. I mean, and I think um, yes, when you think about the kind of people who might have a lot of time to spend on online sleuthing, I mean, these are people who like to, they're introverts. They like to do things by themselves. Maybe they've got some friends. Of course they have some friends, but they really like to be by themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah people who are are that involved with a community like this like they're not going to like read as super normal from first glance well and
1: and and when you think about this real online community i think you know they they're going to read it's it's a weird thing to try to write about this online right community um which is one of the the barriers that i ran up against very quickly is that mostly the real people who do this work the tireless work the uh, you know thankless work, usually. Um, They're mostly doing it by themselves. But I wanted to get these characters in one place and let them interact. And yeah, I I love Lillian and Juby. I had so much fun writing them.
0: Yeah, I can tell they're, they're they're really fun on the page. And they make they make a really good team, like, you know, unlikely as a team, they may be, they they work well together. Um, They, they understand each other. And it's cool that they uh, kind of approach things from a different angle,
1: but it's like in the service of the same goal. But and really... it's interesting, sorry, it's interesting though, because I feel like they're likable, but each individually, if you describe them, if you talked about how they were, they would also be unlikable, but I, I like them. I like them weird and sort of uh, gruff with each other and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> arguing at, you know, b- in the car in the back seat, Right. Like bickering, like, mm-hmm. yeah,
0: like it's a, it's a lot of fun. I think we talk a lot on this podcast about how the word unlikable ultimately has nothing to do with whether or not someone is actually personally likable. It's mm-hmm. sort of like a collection of characteristics that society in general would describe as difficult, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so like, uh, someone might be perfectly pleasant to talk to for a few minutes, that doesn't mean they still can't be an unlikable female character for sure. Um, <laughs> because, you know, they're, they are like, you know, ambitious or determined to the point of obnoxiousness or mm-hmm. nosy. Like all of these things are kind of – characteristics that society by which i mean the patriarchy has decided like (laughs) these are characteristics that women have and we don't like them so you know um because like too much space right exactly (laughs) so like the idea of a woman who just won't let it go she's she's pushing towards this conclusion she just won't drop it like that's not something that you would say about a man you wouldn't say oh that guy just won't let it go exactly like he's a a man thinks that he's entitled to do whatever he wants it's not a matter of is that his story to look into or not like it's just it's totally different for women
1: he's ambitious he's a
0: go-getter exactly (laughs) right like the go-getter versus the woman who won't let it go like there's is there a difference there's not really a difference no um and there's also you know elements of um relying on intuition that go into what these characters are kind of working through, like, Alice knows something isn't right, Marilyn knows something isn't right, like the story of of this guy that she grew up with um, in her life in a very sort of transient way, um, she knows there's more to the story, even though her mother is saying, no, there's no more to it, that's it, she, she knows deep down, and intuition is hugely important for suspense novels but it's also one of those words that gets lumped in with like oh the lady's intuition i mean whatever. this is how we get called witches exactly Kristen. i'll <laughs> <laughs> be careful claiming we've got intuition labeled as hysterical um <laughs> somebody's lighting a match right now right <laughs> exactly you're that hush that just fell over the the airwaves that was my seance um but yeah it's like these types of characters are really fun to write about and read about, I think, because like we are all these people in some way or another in our lives. Like, I think everyone can relate to the idea of the woman who just can't let it go. Like we've all got that something. Usually it's not as dramatic as, as Alice and Lee's situation. Um, but we've all got something like that.
1: I agree. I mean, I think, um, you could say that there's this archetype in my writing book from book from book. They're all standalones, but, um, I really love the woman who has sort of like narrowed down her life to the point where she doesn't have that much. Mm-hmm. And so then when there's something to pursue that might actually change her life, she she does pursue it despite her own, I don't know, her own reservations. They're usually very reluctant sleuths. Yeah. I cannot come up with, I mean, I should just write a pi like you do so that could be like okay <laughs> this is her job um <laughs> she has to go looking for, you know they're very reluctant
0: <laughs> well i mean as you probably know roxanne finds all kinds of reasons to put off looking into what she really needs to look into i, I mean grow. roxanne and
1: i really you know i connect with roxanne in this way absolutely <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but there is like the, the idea of like the reluctant sleuth, like she's kind of she's reluctant to get into it but then once she is into it like she can't stop it it takes on almost like um a force of its own yeah it's like
1: it becomes like an obsession this is this is the thing that she has and she might actually figure it out if she spends the time right right uh tell me a little
0: bit about the research that you did while writing this book
1: um so i did a lot of research about um the real website the doe network i interviewed one of the founders todd matthews um He is a guy who sort of came into this like online sleuthing very early. This is online as in, you know, chat rooms way back in the day. (laughs) Um, But he was even involved in it even earlier than there was an Internet because his father-in-law, back before he even met uh, this guy's daughter, his wife, um, in high school, uh, found a body in Kentucky wrapped up in a tent Um, and the father-in-law tried to, um, figure out who she was and, and could not. And then eventually she was buried in Kentucky with a, you know, with a, without a name. Mm -hmm. They called her tent girl just to have, you know, something to call her. And 30 years after that body was found, Todd Matthews solved that case through, um, yeah, it just, it's crazy. These, these cases are crazy. 30 years, cold case, um, solved when, uh, he, one of the chat rooms, I think he was talking in, he, uh, was like sifting through messages of people who had lost loved ones or, you know, lost track of loved ones. And he found a woman saying, I haven't heard from my sister in this long. This is where she was last seen. This is, uh, these are the things I know I can tell you about her. And he just, he just had this feeling. There was something about her post that he thought this is this is her. So um, I did research, you know, from that real life, uh, amateur sleuth angle. Um, But then I also did a little bit of research um, myself thinking, well, if you wanted to be an online sleuth, if you had this um, unidentified body or this missing person and you wanted to start to learn about them, what would you do? So I went to my hometown library and I looked up a missing persons case that i knew about from when i was a kid um it was a girl that i had been on the school bus with i knew her a little bit i shouldn't have known her she was four years older than me but she was a bit of an outcast i think from her own age group and so i i sat next to her on the bus at least a couple of times so uh she went missing when she was 12 years old from our neighborhood about nine houses away from me oh wow and it was of course a huge deal in our neighborhood our mothers all got very nervous Um, But she was, um, as I learned from doing the research, you know, in the old newspaper archives, she was considered a runaway and somebody who might have been pregnant at 12. Um, So her going missing was not even reported in the newspaper. As far as I could see, I looked uh, pretty carefully and did not see any mention of her going going missing. I mean, it was, you know, investigated, but a runaway. Um, But then a couple of years later, her older sister was found murdered in our area out in the country uh, between where I lived and where my grandparents lived. And in fact, my grandfather was one of the first people on the scene. And uh, I've written about this a couple of times in the past. Uh, and I finally had to go look and see, okay, what are the facts of this case? I only remember a little bit of the, you know, the whispers and the rumor, what was actually reported, what was known and when. Right. And when the second sister was found shot and raped, um. suddenly everyone thought, hmm, I wonder if her sister actually was a runaway. Right. And of course she was not, but she's never been found. Her body has never been recovered. So she still appears on the Doe Network and other missing persons site. So when I was looking at that site early days, I was skimming around looking in Indiana and Illinois, the places that I have lived and do live, and I saw her face and I recognized it immediately. I didn't I hadn't forgotten about her, but I was definitely not expecting to see her face when I was researching this book. Right. Oh, that must have
0: been really chilling.
1: It was pretty uh I was expecting there was a little girl who went missing from another town in Indiana and I knew I would see her because she was never found uh a much younger uh girl than I was, somebody that went to school with my sister. Um but I was not expecting to see this other girl i sort of thought oh surely they've nope they hadn't found her she's still missing
0: Mm. it's interesting that like a story about these women who can't let it go comes out of such an old case and i think it's really true of, of any novel that's about a cold case it's like at some point like when this originally happened someone very much could let it go right like and it's not even always because there was nothing to look into like there are lots of reasons why um police or family or whatever may not have been able to figure out what was behind what happened but like these types of of stories in fiction and in real life like it happens and then it doesn't really get forgotten about but it gets sort of buried under the years and everything is just kind of like laying there waiting intact so when you're talking about a novel about one of these cases like it's it's an interesting challenge because there are definitely clues to be found because no one was actively hiding them from you you know 30 years Mm -hmm. ago or whatever um so there are clues to be found if you know where to look and i think that's kind of what makes it fun as a reader because it's different from like a murder that happened six months ago if you're trying to solve a
1: case like that like that's a very different type of approach absolutely um one of the things that was tricky um you know just craft wise writing this book was um how do normal people get information (laughs) about old cases I mean you write a PI you know what I'm talking about where you're like Oh, my, my amateur sleuth, how does she actually get information? And I I was trying to figure out, okay, where do you even start and then where would you go from there? Um but a 30-year cold case or in this case, yeah, it was about 30 years. Um there ends up being quite a few sort of cases that are um all sort of tied together, not to ruin the book for anybody. But um that was the trickiest part was where where does this information go? Where can you find all the clues you need and then I you know it's a paper trail and a paper trail in a book is really not that interesting so I skimmed <laughs> over that real fast <laughs> here's a bunch of paper she looks through it okay um yeah like yeah. <laughs> here's,
0: here's 60 pages of her reading papers like no <laughs> that's not what anyone wants to do no <laughs> no <laughs> that is kind of a unique challenge of of being a writer because a lot of like the detail stuff of the way a person would investigate a crime is like paperwork or just like reading documents.
1: I mean, we're talking about online sleuths I'm right. like, I got to get them off the computer. Yes. It's just not that interesting.
0: <laughs> no, no Lillian and Judy would not have worked at all if they had just existed only in the dope pages. Like it's yeah. necessary for them to like become a part of Alice's real life too. Absolutely. Uh, very much so.
1: I talked to Todd Matthews when I was interviewing him. I said, I'm going to have to get these people together. And he's like, I – he is actually – he still works in this area. And he also uh, consults with TV shows and movies where they want to have this kind of uh, community. And he consulted on a TV show. And he's like, they didn't – I told him, we have to get these people together in a room. And they're like, no, we want to make it real. And he's like, yeah, but real is (laughs) – they're all on their computers at home. It's just, it's just <laughs> I like the this- sound of typing. Like,
0: that's it. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> but it, it did give me a chance to do a little bit of like having the chat, you know, the chat function within the website, having them talking to each other and then having some fun with um, the trollish behavior that always crops up when you on- are online somewhere, which right. is kind of fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can't have any conversation on the Internet these days without there being a troll of some kind so that is a, a nice realistic touch.
1: <laughs> I mean this is the you know insider group and they're still trolling each other right. So. <laughs> right right
0: have you ever tried to like investigate one of these cases yourself?
1: Um so when I was doing the research of you know these two sisters I really got that feeling of I could definitely become obsessed with this it mm-hmm. it just got really this really strange feeling of This sister, this woman, this little girl, she was only 12, you know, she never got any older, um, is still out there somewhere. She's definitely not alive. That is just not a thing that is at all possible. Right. But, and and, and it won't be solved until someone finds her body. Right. Yeah, they do know what happened, by the way, if, if, if anyone's curious. Oh, they do. Um, yeah, so the second sister was raped. They had uh, DNA of her assailant, um, but they could not compel the best suspect they had to give DNA until he died. And so um, their stepfather was uh, definitely um, at least the second sister's rapist and probably her murderer. When he died, they were able to get his DNA and matched mm-hmm. it. But that, that second sister, the little girl I knew, you know, her body is out there somewhere and it just yeah, I can I can feel how people can get obsessed with this kind of story and not right. be able to let it go. Yeah. I have to move on to the next book, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but it's hard. Yeah, there's there's a lot that's still Uh, there that I could really sink my teeth into if I knew how to do this better or could you know (laughs) dig up every field in central Indiana right (laughs) which would be a a simple task surely simple yeah there's not there's just a couple of fields in central (laughs) Indiana Uh,
0: not a whole state of fields or anything Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know I totally can see how people could get obsessed like even just like like I can I can see how I would become obsessed just researching the website for a book. I mean, like mm-hmm. I once um, long ago had a PlayStation Two and the game Need for Speed, and I became so obsessed with playing that game and I could not stop myself. Like I had to get rid of the machine. Like so, wow. I have a very real problem <laughs> coming <laughs> deeply obsessed with things. So it's like I uh,
1: I can definitely
0: relate to that. Um, We're just
1: like, we're just like characters where the thing that, you know, it's, it's a problem for you, but it could actually make you really good at something else. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what makes you really like obsessed about this video game makes you an excellent author, like really (laughs) dedicated to getting the story right and all the details in place. Yeah. It's kind of
0: funny how, how that works out. Uh, Do you ever like struggle with the, the fact that like we write books about horrible things that happen to made up people, but like horrible things happen to real people and it's not entertainment.
1: Yeah, I do struggle with that. And I think, um, this book, especially that's, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to have, um, this like on the ground research so that I had some sort of touchstone to go back to and remind myself. Um, my third book, the day I died also, um, had some relevancy to that. So um it's a it has some domestic violence uh issues in it. And I have never been the victim of domestic violence, but someone that I went to high school with was actually murdered by her ex-boyfriend. Mm. Um she had a restraining order, she did everything right, but uh he came with a gun and and killed her anyway. Um and I it was what I was doing was remembering her as I was writing that book, always trying to remember even if my character got away and she does like she, the book starts when she's already, uh, escaped from this kind of past. Um, not everybody gets away. Right. And I think that's, I don't know. I, I feel like that's the, the least I can do is remember that real people do suffer these fates and, and sometimes don't get away victoriously with a rom- you know, romantic entanglement at the end. Right. Um, you know, we have to write the books that we write, but, I think it's better if we just remember real people do suffer some of these things.
0: Yeah. And I think we have to like approach it as, um, the stories that we're telling are revealing very real facts about human nature. Mm-hmm. And not that, not that like I'm doing the Lord's work with my, you know, <laughs> series or any such thing. No, you are, you are, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, if, if writing a story like that, like even gives like one single person a thought to make them think a little deeper about real people, I mean, that's like, that is not nothing, right?
1: I think it's, you know, it's what we can do. This mm-hmm. is the thing that I can do. Um, I can tell stories with a little bit of social justice going on right. and maybe people think about it for, you know, a few minutes today where they wouldn't have normally. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah and each of the books has had something like that i didn't start out thinking i'm going to save the world through fiction (laughs) right that is not what i was trying to do um i wrote the first uh full draft of my first book the first published book the black hour and after the first draft was written i thought oh this is about um socioeconomic uh, disparity oh i didn't i didn't realize that huh Mm -hmm. and then went back and you know revised with that in mind and then the next book had you know sexual trafficking and um the third book had domestic violence and the fourth book had PTSD um <laughs> of an army vet you know it just kept yeah. going and it's not really like I'm like I've got to figure out what I'm talking about in this <laughs> book I don't set out to to do this but I don't know there's usually um something going on besides of course you know murder mystery Um, It just, I don't know if it makes it interesting for me or if it's me trying to figure out what these characters are really going through and and it's usually something deeper than I meant.
0: Yeah, there's always like there's the story under the story, which is is so fun, I think, as a writer, because you can write a mystery or a thriller or a suspense novel in a way that can be enjoyed on a very superficial level if that's what a reader desires. Mm -hmm. But there's like always more to dig into if you you know are really reading between the lines and and taking in all of the characterization, and that's the part that gets me so excited as a writer. Love well, and I
1: I love it as a reader when I read you know your books and and other books where they sort of engage with things that I wasn't. It's not on the back cover. It's not going to be right uh, something that we talk about. It's just it's there. And it's layered in, and it's it's something to chew on other than a great story. And that's what I love as a reader. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, what what led you to
0: want to write? Um, suspense and thrillers.
1: You know, I um most of my career decisions have been uh made for me or <laughs> I sort of backed into them. Um I had to be told I was writing um a novel the first time that I w- you know started writing a short story that got really long. <laughs> um and then not that long after that, I had a chance to show it to um uh, there was a fellowship program that I got invited into and I when I arrived I was put into the mystery group. And that was a bit of a surprise to me, because oh. I had not been writing a mystery as far as I knew. Um, and the teacher of that uh, said, oh, well, there's a crime in your first 15 pages. <laughs> kind of like, uh, how did you not notice that kid? Um, <laughs> uh, are you going to solve it? And I said, I, I don't know. I just found out it was a novel last week. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I can't say that I chose uh, suspense or chose mystery or crime. In some ways, uh, they chose me, right, but I think it's right. probably because I was, you know, as a young reader, I was definitely drawn to these darker stories. Lois Duncan was an early favorite. Mm. Um, Agatha Christie, Mary Higgins Clark—rest oh, oh, in peace, yes. Mary, Mary oh, Higgins Clark—were so um, some of my earliest uh, favorites. You know, the first time I picked up a book that was just a book for an adult, not a not a kid, were these um, really dark stories that yeah. had a lot going on so yeah that's i think that was just me trying to um put some words together and what do you know here come the (laughs) stories of my childhood yeah yeah same um same for me like
0: i uh really like grew up reading Darker stories, and I like at the time I wouldn't have even been able to like articulate it as I like to read dark stories because I'm a weird kid. Um, but like in retrospect, that is that is what was happening. Hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> I I was, I was a dark kid. I was definitely
1: a dark kid. Uh, yeah, you can ask my mom about that one. Um, I I took her to the library to to look up murders. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. As an adult, obviously,
0: but right.
1: <laughs> she wasn't surprised.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, a couple months ago, I, I actually, um, I asked my mom if I could borrow her stack of Mary Higgins Clark paperbacks. I wanted to take some photos for a presentation that I was doing. So I mm. I wanted to like take pictures of all of these like, you know, 80s and early 90s paperbacks that Sweet. I had been reading. Um, and so she said, OK, she would bring them to me. And then the next text was a picture of this like this weird Kind of falling apart, hardback, blue police investigation handbook, and her text message says, "Why do I have this?" (laughs) (laughs) It's like you have that because you are the mother of a mystery writer,
1: (laughs) and it's really well worn because I have looked through it much exactly
0: for many years. (laughs)
1: Yes,
0: (laughs) it's like probably something that like I got at a yard sale when I was a child or something like.
1: I mean, you're just lucky that your mom was like, oh, yeah, you can have that for a nickel for sure. <laughs> it might have been my own nickel. Who knows? Okay. Well, I mean, for your own nickel, but still, like, I don't know. I think uh, some parents would be like, uh, no, not even for a nickel. Can you bring that into the house?
0: Yeah. I mean, that probably would have been a valid concern, but I guess I turned out all
1: right. So we'll just, we'll I mean, just pretend that that's For fine. sure. I mean, we're still weird kids, but yes. <laughs> In, in adulthood, nobody cares anymore. Right, which
0: is like the great part about adulthood, right? <laughs> it does
1: get better, but this is how.
0: Yes, <laughs> it's not like you get less weird. It just becomes like no one cares. So
1: nobody cares, or every, you realize everybody else is really weird too, and you find the people who are weird just like you. Yes. Yeah, and and you you need don't to hang feel out alone. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have podcasts so you can hang out. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So so kids listening out there. When you grow up, you're going to find your your fellow murder mystery podcasters. You Uh, don't have to be normal. No, it's okay.
1: Just start a podcast about whatever it is, kids. Right.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited for our listeners to read The Lucky One because it's really, really wonderful. So suspenseful and the women just
1: totally leap off the page. Thank you so much. And uh, keep writing awesome books. Well, thank you. Thank you. And you cool. keep writing awesome books. I can't wait for your next one. Oh, thank you. And I want to see more of Roxanne. I demand
0: <laughs> I demand more Roxanne. Yes, I I am going to do my best to make that happen for sure. The people have spoken. The people want what they want. <laughs> they it's want
1: not... what they want.
0: <laughs> I will pass that feedback along to my All public. right, thank you. <laughs> <laughs>